continue our study through uh, First and Second Thessalonians here, and coming towards the end. It's really neat. Sometimes I uh, I'll start a series and thinking uh, I'm going to go in a direction, or God uh, has a desire for us to learn some things, maybe something we're dealing with, and um, it's amazing things that He'll bring out, and how many lessons or themes from First uh, Thessalonians in particular. I think have been very relevant uh, to our church. Where we're at, First Thessalonians, we called that um, uh, a young church with a mature faith, as this was a sudden church plant that was started over about three weeks, and uh, they experienced great persecution, but just just uh, went full force into what God had called them to do, and um, uh, had turned the world upside down in their region, there in Macedonia. And then uh, shortly after 1 Thessalonians was written, Paul writes 2 Thessalonians, sends it to them. Uh, of course, he's in Corinth while he's writing this. And, um, and he's helping them because they started believing and falling into some false doctrines, some false teachings that uh, some people were actually uh, saying, oh, I got a word from the Spirit. Um, I've got a letter from Paul, in fact, and it wasn't from Paul. And there are all kinds of stuff confusing them. Uh, even so much so, they were so discouraged. In First Thessalonians, they were discouraged, thinking that those who had passed will not experience the rapture. Uh, and, uh, and so he said, no, 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 we which are alive, we're not going to prevent those which are asleep. Uh, and he kind of comforts, comforts them with that. Then we come to the second, uh, second Thessalonians, and they're, they're concerned that they were told that they're actually in the tribulation. And uh, so he says, no, no, you know, we're going to be taken out of here before all that. And then the man of sin will be revealed. And he lays out a lot of, uh, a lot of important things. So now we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll look at towards the end of the chapter here as we pick this up. Um, hey, uh, Jaden, can you go and turn this down just a little bit? It's probably the echo I'm getting above me, but is it ringing with you guys a little bit? No? Okay. All right. It's the echo above. Is it sound okay out there? Okay, we'll just leave it. We'll just leave it. It's my problem. We're going to be dampening uh, this. It's angled just right. You ever been um, um, over at the um, at the museum? They'll have like a, at the university. They have like a TV plane, and there's that speaker with that dome, so you only can hear it right there. You guys, you experienced that? That's what it's like right here. It's like all the sound is just echoing down onto me. So I just have to deal with it. That's my. Uh, my cross to bear, all right? Um, let's go ahead and stand together, stretch and as we read our text this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse number uh, 13 is where we'll start. And the Bible tells us, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren loved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to obtain, uh, excuse me, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. And establish you in every good work, excuse me, good word and work. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us this morning as we look to your word. Lord, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? And, uh, and most importantly, Lord, would uh, we, we be responsive to whatever it is that you uh, place upon our hearts as we opened your word? Lord, I do believe that we have a wonderful comforter who will guide us to all truth. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
So, again, just to kind of give a little bit of the context, this church was, was struggling through, uh, through some discouragement. They had experienced some false teachers. Uh, in fact, if we, if we back up to verse number 2 of chapter 2, he says, "...that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand." And, uh, and he was saying, you know, I know some things are, str- are, are shaking you. And, and a lot of people believe that they actually received a letter from somebody saying it was Paul, and it wasn't. It was contradicting stuff Paul had already taught, Paul had already said to this church. And so they were shaken. They were kind of struggling with some things. So Paul writes this letter to them, one of the, one of the earliest letters that the Apostle Paul writes to this baby church and, uh, and tries to encourage them with really some mature topics, right? It's amazing how many people have spent years in church and never learned anything about eschatology. How many of you even know what eschatology is? How many of you don't know what eschatology is? Let's do that. Okay, Nick. All right, congratulations. Um, <laughs> eschatology is the study of end-time events or the study of last things. And, uh, and so uh, for a baby church, think about this now. This is a young church, and Paul is addressing things like the Antichrist, the rapture, uh, end-time events, apostasy, falling away. You'd think, uh, boy, I have this baby church. What should we talk about, right? I don't think that would make the list. But that's what Paul is dealing with with them. And they were really shaken about these things. So he's helping them. Again, in, uh, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, they thought that those who had died already uh, were going to miss the rapture. Like, what about them that sleep was the, was the question that he was answering. And he says, don't worry. Uh, they which are asleep shall be, uh, shall be called up first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And uh, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. They were distressed, and he said, comfort. This is a comforting thought. And I uh, wanted to encourage them with that. And then so, uh, so they dealt with that. They dealt with this, and he said, I want you to know something. You don't need to think you're in the tribulation right now. Because in order to be in the tribulation, there must be a falling away first. And then that man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition, this antichrist. And uh, he says, that hasn't happened. And so you're not there yet, and by the way, you're going to be called out before them because there is a great divine preventer of it happening, the Holy Spirit of God. And he needs to be taken out of the way first, then that man of sin will be revealed. And so, so there are some things, some dispensational things that are going to take place within this time, which is partly what we're going to deal with in this text. And so, so that's kind of what, what they're dealing with here. So he explains uh, some, of, some of these truths. Um, and, uh, and, 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 he, and he talks about those who, who um, did not receive the love of the truth, is the way he worded it, would believe a lie. They'll be deceived. And so, so, so in other words, here's the idea. In fact, if I were to back up a little, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, verse number 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish the lost people, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So we're talking about what, what aspect of truth is it that they didn't believe? The gospel. That's what saves, correct? So they didn't believe the gospel, that they might be saved. And for this cause, because they did not receive the love of the truth, because they did not respond to the gospel, for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Here's the idea. How many of you are familiar with the Left Behind books? Right? The Left Behind movie it came out with. In fact, I think there's a, there's a new one that just came out. Um, 
uh, it's fun, it's entertaining. Keep in mind, by the way, whether it be that, the Chosen series, whatever, these are all historical fictions. It, well, it's, a, it's future history, but they're historical fictions. Yeah, about prophecy, yeah, yeah. Um, every embellishment there about Jesus is fiction. I don't mean they're deceiving you or they're lying. I'm just saying that they embellished everything. There's things not written about Jesus that they are saying Jesus did and said. And I'm not saying they're, they're bad or they're blasphemous or anything like that. But keep in mind, this is, this is them presenting Jesus in an entertainment fashion. All right, I think they're doing a good job. All right, all I'm, all I'm saying, though, is, is keep those things in mind. When you watch those shows, that's not doctrine. That's not Bible. And same with the Left Behind series. So the premise of Left Behind is there's a group of people that might be pseudo-religious, and uh, anyways, a bunch of people get raptured out of here, and they're left behind. So they realize that they missed it, and they repent, and they turn and trust Christ, and uh, the, the small remnant now that they're trying to endure through the tribulation. Um, but let me just tell you something. If you have heard the gospel and did not respond, you will not be saved after the rapture takes place. That's what this text is telling us. You chose, you did not love the truth that you would be saved. And so therefore God will send a strong delusion. Why? Because we live by faith, not sight. And they become sight at that point. So you're going to believe something. I don't know what they're going to do to cover it up. Aliens. I don't know what it is, but you'll believe that. Why? So you'll be damned. Because you did not believe the truth. You did not call on Christ by faith. By the way, uh, that should not, you should not get upset about that. That should say, boy, I better make sure I'm saved today. I better get this matter settled and uh, make sure that I'm saved. And, uh, and by the way, what a wonderful truth. We are not appointed under wrath. We'll miss all that garbage that's going to happen. Okay? And we talked a little bit about that. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. God's going to be dealing with Israel. That is a big part of his plan. But as we look at this, as he explains all these things and the strong delusion, uh, they were wondering, did we believe this lie? Did, are, we, are we being deceived or are, are we holding on to the right things? Um, you know, what if someone came to you, by the way, and said, that ministry that you're giving yourself for, it's all pointless because God doesn't do it that way. That's why, by the way, I'm so passionate as I preach against Calvinism, which will continue our series tonight if you want to join us. Um, because here we have mandate after mandate, command after command, talking about being a witness, a testimony, getting the gospel out to the furthest parts of the world, and then just to think that, well, it doesn't really matter because God's already decided who he's going to save and condemn anyway. What? So now all of a sudden your ministry is pointless as far as that goes. You see, see how that can take the wind out of your sail? Like, what, what have I been doing? Here's a church that has turned the world upside down. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, he said, we don't even need to share the gospel with anybody in your area because you've talked to everyone. <laughs> can you imagine that? Can you imagine an evangelist comes from North Pole and he says, everywhere I go, they're talking about Cornerstone Baptist Church. has already been here. Can you imagine that? They've already talked to us. Oh, yeah, yeah, we already heard their message. Wow, you guys have talked to everybody. You've saturated this area. What a wonderful testimony that would be. And then to think that, well, it doesn't matter anyway because we're in the tribulation. Or it doesn't matter anyway because this or that the other thing. So he's going to deal with some things. So notice what it says in our text, verse number um, 13. But we are bound to give thanks all the way to God for you. Here's Paul, his heart for Thess the Thessalonians. And he says, we are thanking God for what he's done in your life, the work that he has done in you. Remember what he said in 1 Thessalonians, when you guys received the word, 
You received it not as it was the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. You responded and it wasn't like, wow, this guy's bringing interesting philosophy. No, no, they said, this is true. He's drawing us to the scriptures. This is God's word. And they responded and they received it. He says, you guys did a great job with how you received it. And they had a great start. But, uh, but, but remember, uh, there's, some, there's some things as we look at this passage. It says, thank God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Now get this, because, or because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Now here's what the Calvinists will say. Whoa, there we go. There's our verse. There's our proof text. God has chosen you from the beginning to be saved. So we've got to unpack some things. Here's how they read it, by the way. It's very important to, to recognize your presuppositions when you go to the Scriptures. Because here's how they read it. God has chosen you from before the foundation of the world. And, and who's the you? You who have already been regenerated and purposed by God and rejected those who, have been, who are uh, regenerate and, uh, and, and chosen you from the foundation of the world to be saved. You see, that, but it doesn't say all that. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this verse talking about? And let's unpack it. So just for a minute, I want, to, I want to zero in on some very important keys here. But we're going to look at chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. See, that's how they were saved. They believed the truth, and God began a sanctifying work in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God came in, and what did he do? Set you apart for God. That's what that means. Set you apart for God. Is that always the way that it worked? Isaiah 44, verse number 5. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call him, uh, him himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe uh, with the hand of the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. That would be a non-Jew saying, I am going to be called a Jew. How did he do that? He went through Israel to be a child of God. Revelation 12, verse number 17. And the dragon was wroth with, uh, with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, uh, which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That was the seed that kept the commandments of God that this dragon was upset with. Uh, Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that kept the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, is that your experience on how you came to Jesus, how you got saved? I endured to the end. I kept the commandments. How of you would say, I, got, I know I'm saved because I kept the commandments? Anybody in this room? If that is any of you, by the way, we need to have a little talk. Because we know very well. Uh, we know Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is in the Bible. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of anything you can do. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what do we do with some of these passages? We understand that God uh, dispensed his grace or worked differently in different eras. We are now in what we often call the church age and how God's working in us today. Well, how do you get saved today? You believe his word. You believe him by faith, right? And so what do we see? Um, uh, Sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. See, these Thessalonians have been combating all sorts of false doctrine, and they've even been convinced that, uh, that they, they might have even been believing the lies, and they themselves might be condemned. So Paul is reassuring them that the uh, truth, uh, uh, in, the, in the truth, excuse me, he's reassuring them that belief in truth, in the truth, and sanctification of the Spirit are the correct modalities to be saved. This is how God's doing it. 
as, uh, as they're now in this church age, the way God had chosen. See, prior to this age, the Gentiles, if they wanted to be included in God's people, if they wanted to be a part of God's people, they had to convert to Judaism. They had to go through all the ceremonies and all the rituals, and they actually even had to change their citizenship and become an Israelite. They, that's how they would, they, would, they would convert. And so we get to Acts 15, and there's a big debate, and there's a big thing going on between the believing Jews, the Messianic Jews, and the Gentile Christians. And the message that Paul was giving as he was going to his people, so Paul goes down to Jerusalem to answer for all these concerns. And in Acts 15, verse 24, uh, it, it indicates that there were people that were from Jerusalem going to these Gentile churches and telling them, guys, you're not fully saved unless you're circumcised and keeping the law. And that's what they're telling them. Why? Because that's what all the Jews were doing. And so they told them, we didn't command them to do that. We didn't tell them to go do that. And so there's a big discussion. And so in that discussion, there's a character that becomes very pivotal in this discussion. It's a man by the name of Cornelius. And he so wowed Peter because Peter did not believe it. Even though Peter was living through this thing, Peter himself did not believe it. Here's Peter. If you know the story, he's, um, he, he was in a trance, basically. He was, in a, he was in this state, and God basically told him, he said, hey, some people are going to be knocking at the door. Go with them. And so next thing you know, there's a knock at the door, and he's like, I guess I'm going to go with these guys. So he travels with these Gentiles to a man named Cornelius, his house. He was, a, he was an Italian man, and he was there with a servant's. And he shows up, and he tells him the story. He said, God told me to send people to you, and that you would tell me what to do. So he's thinking, man, this is interesting. So he starts to perceive that God is no respecter of persons, and he shares with him the gospel. And here's the thing that blew Peter away. He simply believed and got saved and got the Holy Spirit. Now, this, this blew him away because up to this point, it was only Jews it was only Jews. And prior to this, if there was any Gentile who's going to receive anything from God, he really had to become a Jew. That was the way it happened. So this was so huge for Peter. So he stood up and said, this was the story. This is what happened. This is what unraveled. So the mode of salvation went through a dispensational change. It was no longer under Israel, and it was no longer through Israel, and it was no longer under the law, but now it was, it was anyone, anywhere, whosoever shall call upon him of the Lord shall be saved. This is what was going on. So in Acts 15, verse 24, they were telling them to, to basically telling them, stop telling the Gentiles to go and obey the law. Stop telling them that they need to be under the Mosaic law, which, by the way, most of them were ignorant of. They didn't grow up knowing the law. And, uh, and so he says, stop putting that burden on them. Although we see later on in Acts 21, 20 to 25, that the Jews up to that point were still keeping the law, and, uh, but they were not putting it onto the Gentiles. You guys are not bound by this. So we jump ahead, Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. Belief in the truth and what then takes place, the sanctification of the Spirit. God moves in, and what does he do? He redeems you, he saves you, this is salvation. You see, sometimes we miss God's even prophetic timetable. Uh, in Daniel's 70th week, a lot of Second Thessalonians is going to take place during Daniel's 70th week. Um, that's going to be the tribulation time period. 
a lot of what, was, uh, what, what he's laying out here, the revealing of the Antichrist, uh, the son of perdition, all this, uh, the wrath of God being poured out on this world, etc., etc., that's all happening in the 70th week of Daniel. And, uh, and what's interesting is in the Old Testament, the Gentile had to convert to Judaism to be a child of God, to be included in that. Fast forward in the tribulation, it reverts to that yet again, but now they're Messianic Jews. Now, to be a child of God, if you would, you fall into that, but you are, um, you're believing on Jesus Christ. And so, um, and so think about this now. All the way up until Acts chapter 7, every single person that got saved was a Jew. Sometimes we look at like Acts 2, and they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day added to them about 3,000 souls. And we look at all these passages, and we, we forget the context of what's happening. God was reaching out to his people, calling them to receive their Messiah. And that's why Peter was so blown away as he goes to this. Uh, in fact, the argument he's having with God as he has his vision, a sheet comes down from heaven full of all kinds of unclean animals. And, uh, and God tells him, take, kill, and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. My lips have never touched anything that's unclean. And God says to him, don't call that which I've cleaned unclean. By the way, that is not the verse that says we can eat pork. That verse comes later. What was God telling Peter? Anybody? Go to the unclean Gentile. That's what God was telling Peter. So Peter's like... This is new. This is different. Even in Jesus' day, he tells the disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles. Why? Because he is sent to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. That's what was going on there. So I say all this to say, as, as we're going through this, he lays this out, this verse. It's, it's important to understand this verse, especially when we're talking about Calvinism, because the Calvinists will say, ah, see this verse? God's chosen you. Those who are saved, he has chosen you from the beginning that you would receive this salvation, that you'd receive the truth and the sanctification of the, of the Spirit and so forth. Um, and so as we look at this, you know, um, after the rapture, after the catching away, uh, by the way, there'll be no more sealing with the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know that? We talked about that, right? That the Holy Spirit of God is the restrainer that's keeping back the, um, uh, the Antichrist. And when the rapture takes place, he's removing that restrainer. The one who lets, the one who is, is holding back. He removes him. Well, how does he remove him if he's in the believer and he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee? That's why we place the rapture right there. I mean, that's one of the many proofs scripturally. And so, so what happens is, Holy Spirit's taken out of this world with, the, with the, the believers, and now the son of perdition is revealed, tribulation starts breaking out, all this stuff is taking place, and then so what do you find all throughout? They that endure till the end shall be saved. They that endure till the end shall be saved. They that endure till the end shall be saved. Now, is that true for you and me in the... In the um, Church age? No, they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you and me. But in, in, uh, in Matthew 24, which is about the tribulation, they that endure to the end shall be saved. In Revelation, it talks about the saints that endure to the end. That's interesting. Why? Because they're not sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, let's go back to David. Psalm 51. David's Psalm of Repentance. What does he pray to God? He says, he says Lord, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why would he pray that? Because in David's day, the Holy Spirit could be taken from you. Remember, the Holy Spirit would come upon um, Samson and would depart from Samson. And Samson wit not that the Holy Spirit had departed from him. God has promised us that that wouldn't happen today. See, this is what we call a dispensational change. Some things shifted, okay? And so, so when we look at this, once, uh, once again, salvation, uh, in, after the rapture takes place, salvation is going to be connected to Israel. It's going to be connected to Judaism, which will be messianic at this point. And believers must endure to the end. Matthew 24, verse 13, Hebrews 3, 6, and 14, and, uh, and others. And so without, uh, and, and they must uh, not only endure to the end, but they must do it without sinning willfully and taking the mark of the beast. Hebrews 10, 26, 27, Revelation 14, 9 through 11, um, just for some references there. But the idea is this, that, uh, that once they've crossed that line, they sin willfully, taking the mark of the beast. By the way, taking the mark of the beast is not something to be tricked into. It's funny, all these people are talking about that uh, COVID vaccination, right? Um, Great, now our website's going to get taken off the, anyways, <laughs> I said COVID vaccine. Um, uh, people are saying it was connected to the mark of the beast. Don't take it, it's the mark of the beast, mark of the beast. Now, does it have some, some similarities when they started talking about traveling and selling and those kind of things? Absolutely, but let me just tell you, you're not going to be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. It's going to be something you do willingly. Okay, and so the enduring to the end for these guys is going to, that's going to be a big part of it. Not taking the mark of the beast. Um, and so as we look at verse 13, you say, you say, what's the point of all that? My point is this. When he's bringing out verse 13, he says this. He's giving thanks to God. Why? Because God hath from the beginning, we'll look at the beginning in a second, chosen you to salvation. By the way, what are they chosen to? They've chosen to salvation in, through this way, through sanctification of the spirit and belief in the truth. Not that God chose those who would be saved, but this is the way God hath chosen them to be saved, through the sanctification of the Spirit and the believing of the truth. That's how that God chose them to be saved. By the way, how did God choose you to be saved? Are, are you saved here this morning? If you're saved, just put your hand in the air, testimony. All right, I'm saved. Amen. How did you get saved? How did, oh, let me say it this way. How did God choose you to get saved? God chose me to be saved by grace through faith. That's how he did it. That's the modality that he chose. Okay? Are we all right with that? That's how you and I are saved today. And so, so he tells, tells them, I'm thanking God for this truth, that he has reached out to you and saved you. Now, when he says from the beginning, by the way, verse 13 is somewhat of a recap, as he did a few times of when he was with them. Look at verse 5. He says, Remember ye not when I was with you that I told you these things. There were several things that he had told them and taught them that he had to recap and kind of go over again. But he's telling them, this is how God chose you to be saved in this church age. This was God's plan, his choosing. Not choosing who would be saved, but choosing how they would be saved. See, when we understand the context, we start to realize that as, as he's assuring to them, in this day that you live in, you are free to go to all people. Remember the makeup of this church? You remember back in 1 Thessalonians? Some Jews believed. 
Most of the early churches that Paul planted were mostly Jews. But this church said some Jews believed and many devout Greeks. It's an interesting phrase. Who are these devout Greeks? Devout to what? These were Greeks that converted to Judaism. They, they were Gentile converts. They received the gospel message, and they accepted, and they, they're on fire for God. What did they do? They just start telling everybody. Here's Jesus. He's here, and, uh, and he has come, and, and, they, and he's preaching this gospel message to them, and they're telling everybody. So, so as some of these things start to kind of unfold, maybe this halted their ministry. Maybe they're kind of like, have we been telling the right message? Have we been going about this the right way? And let me just say, when you take a passage like this and put the Calvinist stamp on it, I'll say it, it'll halt our soul-winning ministry. It's going to stop us from wanting to share the gospel with people. It's going to cause us to lose excitement. Why? Because I don't know if God chose you or didn't choose you. Can I tell you a secret? God doesn't do that. God chose the means of salvation. God chose the modality of salvation, how one would be saved. But I have by the authority of Scripture that God wants the gospel to go to everybody. For God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That sounds all-inclusive to me. That tells me you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. But if you believe a lie, and if you allow somebody to trick your thinking, it will halt your ministry. What are we doing here? Can we go forward? So he says this, that from the beginning, he had chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. From the beginning. So let me just say, that does not say from the beginning of the world. That does not say from before the foundation of the world. The word from the beginning, the phrase from the beginning shows up several times in Scripture. You can look at it. There are times it refers to Jesus' ministry, times it refers to Paul's ministry, times it refers to encounters with an individual. Okay? Um, I could tell my wife, um, you know, Carrie, I have loved you from the beginning. Do I mean I've loved her since the day I was born? Or do I mean I have loved her from the first time I met her? Which would make more sense to you? First time I met her, right? That's what's going on here. Uh, as, as Paul went to them, and, and, and so if we were to look at uh, Philippians 4. Now, keep in mind, remember, I wish I had a screen up here, or the map. Um, let, me, let me draw real quick here. I need a, that's what I need. I need a whiteboard. So we have the Aegean Sea right here, okay? We have, um, uh, we have Ephesus over here. We come all the way up. Here's Philippi, here's Thessalonica, we come down, here's Athens, here's Corinth, okay? Here's Thessalonica. Before Thessalonica, he was at Philippi. So this was when, remember his second missionary journey, when, when he received the Macedonian call. He wanted to go over to Asia, but he had that dream. The Holy Spirit forbade him, and he had the dream from Macedonia, hey, come over and help us. That's these people we're talking about right now. He goes to Philippi, plants a church there. Remember the Philippi? You had, uh, you had Lydia, the seller of purple and fine linen. You had the lady that, uh, that, that had divinations that he cast the demon out of. You had the Philippian jailer in his house. That's the start of the church at Philippi. And so they're up there. He leaves Philippi and he goes down to uh, Thessalonica. Why, why did he stop at Thessalonica? Because there was a synagogue there. That's what First uh, Thessalonians tells us. Uh, I'm sorry, that's what Acts 17 tells us. So he stops there and he starts the church there and he heads on down. So this same area, the same region, the region of Macedonia, 
he writes this letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4.15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. As he leaves Philippi, and he's in the Macedonian region, you know what he called that? The beginning of the gospel. Now, was that when Paul's ministry started? That was his second missionary journey. So why would he call that the beginning of the gospel? That was the beginning of his gospel ministry with them, this area. So what does he say to them? From the beginning, you gave financial gifts to me. He's telling this church, God has chosen you this way of salvation from the first time we met. From the beginning, this is the foundation. This is how you've been established. And so he, he gives them this confirmation as far as, uh, as, far as this, this thing that he's praising God for. I thank God that you were saved simply by believing the truth. And, uh, and, and the Spirit of God began to work in your spirit, sanctifying you. And that's how he has done it in the beginning, from the beginning with you. That's what God is doing. He chose that. Look at, uh, again, verse number, um, that's verse 13. Look at verse 14. We're going to pick it up here. Whereinto he called you, there's another word that's a buzzword, by our gospel. That's interesting. By our gospel. What's he talking about? This gospel has been entrusted to, to Paul, and uh, he's also with Timothy there. Um, uh, this gospel, call, uh, uh, our gospel, to obtain, uh, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He hath called you. How? By our gospel. Now, don't get confused by chosen, and don't get confused by called. Those are actually interchangeable words. Also, elect. They all work together. Most of the time in your scriptures, it's going to be referring to Israel. In this text, it's talking about how to be saved. God's chosen this way of being saved, and he's chosen to save you by the hearing of the gospel. Okay? So here, here's the idea. It's not that God chose you to hear the gospel. It's got, that God chose you to be saved from the gospel. Does that make sense? I don't want to confuse anybody here. Maybe I'm confusing you. So, so here's the idea. If I present you with a gospel presentation, you are met with a choice. Now, I already know from the scriptures that God's not one that any should perish, so God wants you to respond, but you are met with a choice. You reject. Is, is the result of your rejection that God chose you to reject? No. God chose this means to get the message to you. Now you have a choice. That's the point of it, right? And by the way, I don't know how people, well, then I guess God's not sovereign. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. This is the way he chose to do it. And he is sovereign. And he's sovereign in the way he chose it, and he's sovereign in the way he lays it out, and he's sovereign in the fact that he didn't make robots and gave us an opportunity to either follow or reject He's still sovereign. He's still on the throne. Choosing here is the vehicle of salvation, not who, the who of salvation. And so we see here this, this call here, if you would, uh, chosen for glory. And, and notice what it says there, the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an awesome thought that is. Keeping in mind that they thought they were going through the, uh, the tribulation. They thought they were going to experience a lot of these things. He says, wait a minute, God has saved you. And he saved you to this. The glory of Jesus Christ. 
What an awesome thought. We talked a little bit about heaven in Sunday school. And, and uh, to, to think that a sinner like me, a vile, filthy sinner like me, not only can be reconciled to God, but I get to experience the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's more than just heaven, guys. We call, we call heaven glory, and, but the glory of Jesus Christ himself. What an awesome thought. So then he goes on, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which ye have been taught, where, whether by word or our epistle. Um, when it talks about this, um, um, move my notes here. Um, it says, hold fast there. Uh, the next, next point he kind of brings to is this. Stand firm in your convictions. What was going on with this church? They were wavering. They allowed a letter, they allowed words, they allowed somebody who said he was led of the Spirit to cause them to kind of waver in their convictions, waver in, in what they were uh, going about. So Paul says to them, he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. So now, here's the interesting thing, right? Here's where we kick back a little bit. Wait a minute, Jesus condemned traditions, right? And it wasn't Jesus against tradition. And we, we look at this and we'll say, this is kind of weird. He says, hold to tradition. Did you know that there are a lot of traditions God gives us in Scripture that are doctrine? Did you know that you and I have established a tradition, a tradition of how we present the gospel? You and I established a, tradi- a tradition that once you get saved, what do you do next? Anybody? You're baptized. We've established tradition that on the first day of the week, when you come together, what do you do? What do we say to, 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 to the Corinthians? Now, concerning the collection of the saints, upon the first day of the week, when, thou art, when you come together, right? He's, yeah, I'm trying to think of the, what the rest of it, right? He, bring, he tells them to bring the money, bring, the, bring your offerings on the first day of the week. By the way, that makes sense because that's when you assemble. Some people say, oh, in the first century, they all, always met on the Sabbath. Then why would you show up on the first day of the week to bring your offerings? Okay, we have worship on the Sabbath, but then we show up Sunday just to bring our money. That doesn't make any sense. On the first day of the week. So we have a tradition of bringing our tithes and offerings on the first day of the week. Here's another tradition. And forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more to see the day, see the day approaching. We have a biblical tradition where we have church weekly. And so much the more. We have Sunday night church. We have Wednesday night church. Sometimes we'll have a week-long meeting. These are traditions. Well, Jesus condemned tradition, did he? Did Jesus condemn tradition? He condemned them holding up tradition above the Word of God. But what happens when the tradition comes from the Word of God? We hold to the tradition. The word translated as tradition here is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, when he prays them for keeping the ordinances. The ordinances. This was God's plan. This is what God's mandate, if you would. This is what God gave them to do. This is, uh, traditions here is teaching or practices. He's telling them to hold on to them. And much of Paul's teaching, by the way, was practical doctrine for Christian living. Right? These are traditions. Uh, traditions on how we interact as a church, traditions on how we reach the world. These are all traditions. So what's he saying? As you've been wavering in this thing, I want you to understand something. Hold on to the traditions that, you're, that, that you've been taught. Why were they struggling? Why were they being swayed? Because they were not standing on their convictions. They weren't standing on it. By the way, I'm so, I'm so convicted about this idea. 
we are losing our young people and we are losing people from churches because we do not teach why we believe what we believe. We just teach what we believe. So we tell our young people, young people, that kind of music's wrong. It's of the devil. And that's all they know. Young people, this is how you ought to dress. Young people, this is how you ought to behave. This is how you ought to talk. And just because I said it really loud, all of a sudden it's authoritative. But I never showed you why. So they come along with somebody, to somebody whose heart is not even right with God. They don't even know their Bible, but they can give you some good reasons why they do what they do. And you're like, you know what? That makes sense. I guess I was in a legalistic movement. And now I found real Christian liberty that lets me enjoy sin. Yikes. They were being swayed because they, they, they were struggling with the why. They were struggling with, we know what we were taught, but then we had this other letter come along and it seemed to be contradictory and we just don't know what's going on anymore. Sometimes we run into that. We develop a conviction. We can sway. We can get uneasy. So what happens? We develop a conviction, but then some things happen in our life that cause us to start questioning those convictions. Now, I will say this. That's not always bad. You ought to re, re, frequently revisit your convictions. Are these biblical? Why am I doing this? Is this because I was told this my whole life, or, or are there some biblical reasons here? But let me just say this. The biblical conviction is not the doctrine. You look through the scriptures, you find what it says, and, 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 and you see that tradition that God wants you to uphold, and what do you do? You develop convictions around that that keep you there. So here's what happens. We think, okay, I believe, I believe God is against divorce until your best friend's marriage falls apart. And, and, and you hear the sob story, and it's a sad story. It's a rough situation. And you start thinking, is God always against divorce? Is God really? You see what I'm saying? And you say, God has chosen marriage between a man and a woman. Yeah, God's chosen marriage between a man and a woman. That's his plan. Until a family member comes out of the closet. And it's tugging on your heartstrings. Oh, well, doesn't God want them to be happy? And what happens? You start wavering. Because of emotion, because of feelings, all these kinds of things. Or maybe you run into something, and uh, maybe, maybe you're drawn even by your own lust. You think, as a young person, I was purposed that I was going to go to the altar pure, and I wasn't going to uh, be in a carnal dating relationship, and, and I wanted to do things right. And, uh, but he said he loves me. Oh, but she's so pretty. And next thing you know, uh, is it really that big of a deal? See, we're wavering. And so, so, so he's saying, hey, hold fast traditions. Hold fast onto those things. Why? Because there are things we'll develop convictions from the scriptures, but then emotions get involved and feelings get involved, and we start, we start upholding feelings above what is true. By the way, isn't that killing our society today? I will not tell you the truth in fear of hurting your feelings. And if I hurt your feelings, I'm the bad guy, even though you're headed for a cliff. We used to call, the, call it tough love. You know, you have a loved one who's in an addiction. And what do you do? You kidnap them. 
You kidnap them so they can detox. You have an intervention because you love them. Today you'd say, they'd say, oh, who do you think you are? Self-righteous, judge, judgy, blah, blah, blah. They're going towards a cliff. Well, it's my, my decision. It's my, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we can run into that. Sometimes they're good. Uh, sometimes they're good traditions. Sometimes they're just simply man-made traditions. Or did it come from Scripture? Notice what he says here. He says that you've been taught, taught by him, by word or epistle. Now, when Paul went, what did he do? He drew them to the Scriptures. So he's up here. He's preaching to them, if you would. He's sharing the God's truth with them, and they're responding. But now he's also writing them a letter. Here's what, the, here's what God wants you to know. Here's what it says. Now, we understand by the doctrine of inspiration that, that, that Paul's writing and Paul's speech, this was Scripture. And he's sharing it with them. He says, I want you to receive this well. So here's, here's the deal. When the preacher gets up and preaches, I am not inspired. What I'm sharing with you is not divine inspiration. But what I am doing and my goal and desire is that I take you through the scriptures and show you what the Bible says. And as we take it through the scriptures and you've been, we've been reasoning through the scriptures, you ought to receive it. You don't say, well, I don't like that because I don't like you know, him. What did God say? And then as you're in the Bible yourself, as you're in the Word, what do you do? I just don't like that verse. I have a uh, loose-leaf Bible in my office. And I got a loose-leaf Bible because I can just take out the pages that I don't like. That's not the reason. But uh, <laughs> we can't treat it that way, right? This is God's Word. But it's funny how we uh, easily fight biblical tradition, and yet we establish our own tradition based on lesser authorities. Have you noticed that? We'll establish our own tradition based on lesser authorities. Well, I think we ought to always do this. Do you have a verse for that? No, but you guys in your scripture, you guys in your verses. You know, there's, uh, there's a former pastor who wrote a book on why church is no longer important and, and Christians should not be part of churches. Well, that's fine. You had a bad experience, but what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible say? Emotion over truth tends to happen. Well, I just feel there, there's a guy who has a podcast and... Um, very interesting character. But they were talking about this, this thing on why he believes the Bible is the Word of God. And by the way, in a simple, simple apologetics book, give you some really good discussion material on this. He's on this podcast trying to influence people. And you know what his argument was? Well, I just, I just really, I feel like this is true. I just feel it in my heart. I just, okay. Well, guess what? Richard Dawkins feels the exact opposite. Who's true? Who's right? We must have something more than that. So he tells them to hold fast. Proverbs 22, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy it. Uh, buy in, in other words. Uh, once, you've, once you've tried it and tested it, hold on to it. Uh, where, uh, where do you receive your traditions from is the question. The Bible warns us in several places about traditions of men, traditions received by your fathers. So we receive the word, the traditions by the word, uh, by, by, by speech, if you would, as we're taking them through scriptures, and by epistle, the scriptures themselves, uh, the written down, inspired word of God. Both word and epistle, by the way, should agree. The moment the words that come out of my mouth disagree with this book, you go with the book and you disregard the word, the words that are spoken. 
establish biblical tradition. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things. Put it to the test. Try it. See if it's true. And then hold fast to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 2.15, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Let me just say, it will not be effectual in you if you don't receive it as the word of God. You get that? It effectually worked in them, the Thessalonians, because they received it not as the word of men, but as it is the word of God. So as I hold this book, and as I read the scriptures, and I expound upon the scriptures, by the way, you know there are Bible teachers all over the place today, so-called, that simply will tell you, well, this is just a bunch of men that came together and wrote this book. It will not be effectual in you. It's not going to have an effect. Why? Because it's just men in your mind. Then he offers an eternal comfort. Look at verse number 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father which hath loved us and hath given an everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. What a thought. Everlasting consolation. These people were distressed. These people were persecuted. Now they were being shaken in mind. By the way, when you become shaken in mind, when you lose the battle in the mind, it doesn't matter how much physical strength you have, you're done. You're done. But we can look at story after story about people whose physical strength was done, but they didn't lose the battle in the mind, and they pushed through, they persevered. These guys were getting shaken in mind. That is a very terrible thing. That's where the devil's attacking, by the way. It's those thoughts. God, um, so God offers this eternal consolation. And let me just say this, folks. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. What a thought, an eternal consolation, an everlasting comfort. That is what God is offering. Uh, it will be worth it all. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, For the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. He says this, this eternal consolation and good hope through grace. Good hope. What a thought. An expected end, an expectation. You know, uh, they were losing hope. This church was losing hope. They were going to go through the tribulation in their mind. They were losing hope. They thought that the end was near. They thought that everything was falling apart. Their thoughts, their expectations, their hope was wavering. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. I thought the Christian life was going to be this way. I thought things were going to go that way. And when it starts unraveling, when you start losing the battle in the mind, that hope goes away. But when the desire cometh, the Bible says, it is a tree of life. And then he challenges them, verse 17, to get back on track. Comfort your hearts establish you in every good work. That's the Lord Jesus Christ doing that work in them. There's God of consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Comfort your hearts. How? How does he comfort our hearts? Well, in this context, first of all, through right doctrine. Right doctrine to right thinking. And it's amazing the lives that we believe, the lies we believe. How many times the, uh, Paul used the word comfort in First and Second Thessalonians? I counted five times in just the word comfort and the concept of comfort even more. After every difficult passage, he would, he would uh, end it with, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Hey, these things you're learning, comfort others with it. Be a comfort. And he tells them, establish you 
in word and work, how both are needed. Both are needed. They were wavering. They were struggling in the things they were doing for God and the, thing, the message they were speaking. So he says, when you get grounded again, when you get an understanding, what's going to happen? It's going to impact your word, and it's going to impact the work you do for the Lord. So you must establish it, how we need both. And uh, when you get right doctrine, when you get sound thinking, you can speak right words and do right things. Remember, the church has turned the world upside down for Christ. This church, that's what Paul had said about them in 1 Thessalonians. They had a massive reach and a massive influence. And the devil got in there, and what did it do? It halted them. It stopped them dead in their tracks. Paul was telling them, now that you understand some things, it's time for you to get back on track. It's time for you to get strengthened, get back to serving, get back to where you're going. Why? Because you have a hope. You have a wonderful hope. There's going to be an eternal consolation. The, the, the sufferings, the things you're going through, it's for a season. And so let's just get back on track. Let's establish and strengthen, and let's get going back on track with the good word and the good work. And, folks, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you've dealt with, been dealing with, or going through, but, uh, but there's so much in what we looked at today that I think is so important for us. As, as we consider things that we believe, as we consider things that we do, we lose motivation. We lose, we lose sight of what we ought to be doing. It's time to get back on track. It's time to come back and say, maybe my thinking was messed up. Maybe I, I got off track a little bit because of lies I believed or emotions I experienced. I don't know what it is, but, but maybe, maybe you know, I, I need to get back to speaking truth. I need to get back to sharing the gospel. I need to get back to doing the things I know I ought to be doing. Folks, this church was not a whole lot older than we are right now. And they were already starting to waver on some things because of some lies they believed. You know, we've already gone through some seasons as a church, some ups and downs. After a while of meeting in a garage, it can get discouraging. Lord provided a building that's going to have some natural excitement, some natural energy. But folks, that's not the goal. That's not the end. There's still so much to do. And so much, God is planting us here. And God has a reach for us. And God has a, a purpose for us. Why are we here? Folks, we ought to commit our thoughts to the Lord. We ought to commit our ways to the Lord. We ought to hold fast to these traditions as they're laid out in Scripture. Or else we're going to waver. You're going to have some coworker that has some crazy idea. You're going to have a friend that, that kind of pulls you aside on something. We, I don't know, but it's time to just, let's commit. If they were able to fall into these, these bad thinking, uh, I'll tell you what, you and I are very, very susceptible so let's, uh, let's go ahead and have a, uh, let's go and stand together if we would. Mary, you can come to the piano. Let's just spend a few moments with the Lord this morning.